So Tuesday night at 6.54 p.m., I got a text from a friend of mine who said, hey, is your family going over to Peaches and Cream tonight for the ice cream social? And um, I discovered that everybody from the middle school was invited to go over to Peaches and Cream, and it was completely paid for. A child-sized ice cream cone, not like a baby, but a child. And I thought, wow, this is, this is amazing, like free Peaches and Cream, the greatest establishment on planet Earth. And so I was really excited, you know, got the kids together. And I turned to my four-year-old Kara, and I said, hey, do you want to go to Peaches tonight? And her response stunned me. It, it was one of the most shocking statements that has ever come out of her mouth. This is what she said. No, I already had enough sugar today. <laughs> and I thought... Who are you? I mean, you look like Kara, you sound like Kara, but this is com completely out of character. But I didn't let that stop me. And I thought to myself, I am the leader of this household, and I will not be stopped by this little four-year-old's lack of desire to experience the greatness. As for me and my house, we will not reject the promised land flowing with peaches and cream. So I picked her up. Right? And I'm telling you, I had to face the giants. I had to swat some things out of my way. And I'm like tripping on fences. And I mean, it was pouring down rain. If you can remember Tuesday night, it was pouring. We had our umbrellas. We could barely see. But we made it over there. And we got our free peaches and cream. Except she got like a half a baby because she didn't have enough room. She didn't have enough space. And she brought it home. She said, can I put this in the freezer? I was like, no, you may not put that in the freezer. But anyway... Um, she basically said, look, I have, I have been filled up on lesser things. I have filled up the insides of me with not so great things, and I don't have enough room for what I would argue is the greatest ice cream on the planet. Hey, welcome to church, and if you're still coming in, come on in. We're in part two of Permission to Doubt. You know, one of the things that we say often around these parts, we even sing songs that go like this, where we say, there's nothing better than Jesus. There's nothing better than God. There's a line that goes like this, there's nothing better than you. And because we're in a series called Permission to Doubt, is that really true? <laughs> like, like, seriously, like, think about this. Is there really nothing better than Jesus? Is he really the best that there is? That, that's what we're going to talk about today. So because I talk about peaches and cream all the time, everybody kind of knows it's my thing. If you're a first-timer here, I, I bring it up all the time in my sermons, and it's, it's just right over there. You, you have to experience its greatness. Every once in a while, I'll go to a different ice cream stand around town, and I'll run into one of you guys, and they'll see me in line, and, and they'll give me this look, and they'll say, does Peaches and Cream know about this? And I'm like, shh, shh, don't tell them, don't tell them. I mean, this was just a little bit more convenient. Like, Coach was going to pay for it. It was, I mean, I'm actually, to be honest, I'm actually thinking about checking out the new Dairy Queen in Horseheads. But I, I kind of feel like I'm being unfaithful. I kind of feel like I'm committing ice cream adultery and experimenting with other things rather than the best thing, right? And, you know, when it comes to... <laughs> When it comes to our relationship with God, right, isn't this true that sometimes God gets squeezed out because we get filled up with other things? And it's not that we necessarily did this intentionally, right? It's not that we woke up one day and said, you know what, I think I'm going to squeeze God out of my schedule today. 
It's not like we said, I'm just, I'm done with God. I've examined the evidence. I read the books and I've deconstructed my faith. No more God. I mean, that might be your story. That seems to be a little bit more common today when we read of people's stories of deconstruction and they listen to the new atheist and they'll listen to this scholar and they'll say, God doesn't make sense anymore. That may be your story. But for most of us, for most of us, we don't wake up and say, I'm done with God. We just get busy, right? And we fill ourselves up with so many other things that we don't have room for God, God kind of gets squeezed out. And again, this wasn't intentional. I mean, some of you might remember, if you, if you think back to when you were younger, maybe God was like a priority when you were little, and then you got to middle school or high school, and you realize that it's not cool maybe to talk about God in middle school and high school, so you just try not to bring them up. You try not to talk about God, and then after a while, he just kind of gets squeezed out. Or maybe in young adulthood, you know, you practiced sexual ethics according to the scriptures. And then you met somebody or you were surrounded by people who didn't believe in the sexual ethics that were prescribed by the Bible and God just kind of got squeezed out. Or maybe when you got married and you had little kids, God was like a high priority because they were little and you have yet to get hit with the tidal wave of kids' activities. And then the activities started to come, and the sports started to come. And before you know it, you're like, I, God just kind of got squeezed. I didn't want this to happen. I didn't mean for it to happen, but it just kind of happened. And God used to be a big priority, but now he just kind of got squeezed out. And this is the million-dollar question that I want to ask you today is, who needs God when you got all these other things that can fill you up? I'm going to give you permission to doubt this question today. Who needs God? Do you really, really need God? Is God really the best that there is in life? I mean, maybe, and I don't mean to offend you, okay? I'm just getting you to think about this. For some of you, God's kind of like an acquaintance. You know what the difference between a spouse and an acquaintance is, right? Like my spouse, Jen and I have been married for 17 years and my, my motto is kind of WWJD, like what would Jen do? And I often think to myself, okay, how's this going to impact Jen? Like somebody invites me to something, I got to check with her first. Like if I spend money, what's she going to think about this? If I do this, how's this going to impact her? Like my mind has been shaped as I've got this other person and we kind of do everything together. And it's not that she's my master necessarily, but we do life together and, and decisions get filtered through how is this going to impact her. It's not like that with an acquaintance. Like some of you in the room, you're my acquaintance and I like being around you. Maybe we do some stuff now and again. And, you know, if you can fit me in your schedule and if I can fit you in your schedule, then maybe we'll sit down and have a cup of coffee. But if you moved away, it really wouldn't impact my life all that much because we're just kind of acquaintances and acquaintances are good. We enjoy acquaintances, but at the end of the day, they don't really impact your life. And maybe that's the way you are in your relationship with God. He's just kind of an acquaintance, you kind of schedule him when you can, and if something comes up, he's the first thing that goes off the table. And when it comes to your everyday decisions, you don't really work him into your decision-making, but you enjoy being a Christian, and you enjoy reading a devotional every now and again and coming to church when it's convenient and that sort of thing. And besides, if, if God is my acquaintance, then I could fill up on whatever I want and not even feel guilty about it, right? So, who needs God when you got all these other ice cream stands? Who needs God when we got 
all these other options that fill us up and distract us. And Why do we need God? At the end of the day, I give you permission to doubt that question, to explore that question, because it's good to be self-aware, isn't it? It's good to be self-aware. So, Jesus made a statement. This is an extraordinary statement. We talk about this all the time, but we're going to kind of walk through it slowly today. Because if you're a first-timer today, you can guess I am a Christian pastor. I have given my life to Jesus Christ, and I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that you actually do need God, and I'm going to try to prove it to you. Okay, so one day, Jesus said this. He said, come to me. My, my thought, because you need them, right? Come to me. Now, if you were with us last week, we talked about three different examples of people who came to Jesus. There was that one day where Peter said, if it's you, tell me to come, and I'll walk out on the water, and Jesus said, come, right? And he got to experience walking on the water, and then he got nervous because he saw the wind and the waves, and he started to sink, but Jesus was there to pick him back up. But he he came to Jesus, and he realized when he started to sink that he needed Jesus. And then we have the example of this man who had a boy that was demon-possessed, and he knew he needed God to deliver him. So he came to Jesus. He brought his boy to Jesus, and Jesus healed him. We looked at the example of the church, right, when Peter was in prison, and they got together and prayed, even though they didn't actually believe God was going to answer their prayer, but they came to Jesus to pray. So Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Now, some of you in the room are weary and burdened, and you're like, I am weary and burdened. Life kind of beat me up this past week, and I realize my need for God. I got to come to this place, and I got to get refocused and realigned because I need them. But let's be honest. There are some of you right now, you're like, I'm doing okay. I don't really feel weary, and I don't feel burdened. My week was pretty good. My marriage is going fine. Kids are, you know, getting Bs and Cs and maybe even As, and life is just going fine. I don't really feel very burdened, but is it possible? (laughs) Is it possible that you are weary and burdened, but you've just filled your life up with so much other stuff, you actually don't realize how weary and burdened you are? So let me give you an illustration. This past, this was Monday night. Monday night, I was at the YMCA Adventure Center, which looks like this. And I'm standing right down here. There's a lot of people in there, you know, some parents, some kids. It's loud. My kids were in there. Couldn't really hear very well. And my four-year-old Kara was standing right here. And there was another little girl who looked like she was about her age. And this little girl started to talk to Kara. And... They weren't talking about the weather. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh. So I had a choice. I could, like, be Spider-Man and, like, climb up the thing here and get in that little girl's face and be like, you better get away from my girl, right, and kind of split them up. But I was like, I'm just going to see how this plays out. So people are hanging out. And and this is kind of what I predicted. A couple of minutes later, I'm sitting down with my back against the wall, and she comes over, and she's standing about 10 feet in front of me, and she has this look of sadness on her face. And I said to her, just come. And she walked up to me and sat down on my lap, and she just lost it. She began to cry, right? She began to cry, and I said, it's okay. I got you. 
I said, did she say something mean to you? And she just said, yeah. And a few minutes later, she just popped up and started playing. No big deal, right? We got through it. Now, here's the interesting part of that. She could have gone to any other parent in that room. She had all kind of options. And all the parents in that room looked nice and equipped to be able to hug her and provide comfort for her. But that's not what she did. She came to me, which was pretty cool because she is a mama's girl, and she always goes to her mom. So I felt really special, right? Because in that moment, she realized that I alone could provide what she really needed. I was the only one in that room who could take her little weary and burdensome soul in that moment and provide her with exactly what she needed in that moment. So Jesus says, you may not realize that you're weary and burdened because you filled up on other stuff, but you are weary and burdened because this life gives us struggles. So come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you. What do you think he said here? What do you think he said? Did he say, I'll give you a scowl? You come to me, and I'll just point my finger at your face. How could you fill up on all these other things? Maybe he said, I'll give you a difficult assignment, <laughs> which, by the way, sometimes he does give you a difficult assignment. I think some of the reason we don't come to God is because we're afraid he's going to call us to be a missionary or something. It's like, I don't want to do that, or he's going to tell me to love my enemies. It's like, not doing that. I try to avoid my, en- my enemies. Sometimes he'll give, just, this is a different sermon for a different day, but I need to say this. Because sometimes when you come to God, He gives you a difficult assignment that you don't want to do, but after you do it, you realize that was good because he's a good father. Quick example. So when I was in high school, I had a mentor who said to me, he goes, Dave, you should be a pastor. I'm like, I'm not being a pastor because I don't want to do funerals. And so I kind of ran from that call for a while, and I went to college, and I majored in something else, and then I finally, halfway through my senior year, I said, okay, I'll, I'll go into ministry And I was reminded of the goodness of God this past week because I had the great privilege to do a funeral for someone that I love and respected. And it was an honor to be able to do it. And I got to share the gospel. And I thought one of the greatest blessings of ministry is to be able to do a funeral. And that was the one thing that scared me from doing what God called me to do. So he says, just come to me. I'll comfort you. I'll give you what you need. This, this is actually what he said, right? He said, come to me and I'll give you a rest. I'll give you a rest. Because at the end of the day, that's really what you need. You may not realize you need it because you filled up with other stuff, but you need to come to me so that you can get the kind of rest that you need. Forgiveness, rest knowing that your sins are forgiven, Rest knowing that you have salvation. Rest knowing that it's not through your works, but it's through the cross of Christ. Rest knowing that you've been adopted by your Father. Jesus says this, take my yoke or my teaching upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's why you need God. Because he alone has the authority and the power to give you real rest. Not fake rest. Not other ice cream stands that just fill you up. But to give you real and authentic rest. At the end of the day, 
He gives us purpose. He gives us purpose. I love this quote from Augustine, who's one of the theologians from the 300s. He wrote this, because God has made us for himself. You know your purpose in life is? It's to please God. It's to magnify your maker. It's to bring glory and honor to the author and the creator and the sustainer of your soul. God has created you for himself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in him. He is the only one who has the power and the authority and the ability to give you real rest. So he says, come to me. Just come to me. Come to me, and I will restore your soul. That's why you need God. And the psalmist writes this. He says, when you come to him, you will taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, when it comes to ice cream, right, I, I could say to Peaches, let me show you the ingredients before I try your ice cream. Let me, Dairy Queen, let me see your ingredients. <laughs> Dippity Doodas, let me see your ingredients. Sweet Spot, let me see your ingredients. I kind of match it up. I'll see which ingredients makes the most sense, wh- which concoctions will give my taste buds the most enjoyment. Or I could just taste it, and I could see that there's no comparison, that there really is nothing better. And peaches and grapes, that there really is nothing better than God. And some of you know that. Some of you in this room are watching online. You have tasted and seen that God is good. You have tasted and seen that he is the one who can restore and refresh your soul. So would you go before him and would you worship him? That's why you were created. And anything less, it just fills you up with a bunch of junk, Right? Here's my big idea. This is my statement that I want you to walk away with. As God gets bigger, the rest of life gets better. In this case, bigger really is better. As God gets bigger, as your view of God gets larger, the rest of life gets better. Now, this isn't to say that you can actually make God bigger, right? Like human celebrities, we could actually make them bigger by tweeting out and giving them likes and all that sort of thing. Well, God's already bigger than we can even imagine. You don't actually have the ability to make him bigger, but you can recognize how big he is. Acts 17.25 says, he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives life and breath to all men. So he doesn't need you because he's big and he's large and in charge, but he wants you to come to him. So when we come to him and his His glory and his grandeur becomes bigger. The rest of life gets better, pun intended. The rest of life gets better because that's what you were created to do. You were created to climb up into his arms and allow him to refresh and restore your soul. So will you climb up into his arms and will you worship him today? Will you recognize that he is superior to all other gods and all other idols in all other ice cream stands that this world has to offer. Here's the way the psalmist describes it. Psalm 95 says, come. I love how so many of these verses say, come. You got to come. You got to take a step. You got to take a step of faith. You got to step out of the boat. You got to bring your boy. You got to get down on your hands and knees. You got to come. So let's come. Kudos to you who showed up in the room because you came. You're watching online. You came. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation because 
all other ground is sinking sand, but he is the rock that never shifts. That no matter how high the winds get and no matter how high the waters get, he is the rock upon which I stand. He's the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. And in his hand are the depths of the earth. And his large hand holds the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The highest of heights and the lowest of lows are in the palm of your creator. And if you're a 9.5 today because you've had a mountaintop experience, or if you're a 0.5 and you've got one door, you got one hand on the doorknob of exit in the faith, he's there. He's there. And he's got it all in the palm of his hand. The sea is his. And he made it in his, and his hands formed the dry land. So come. Come on. Come on. You weary? You burdened? Come. You're not weary? You're not burdened? You just don't realize how weary and burdened you are. Just come. Come. Let us, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, because you were created to magnify your maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. So today, not tomorrow. Tomorrow is like the worst word in the English language. Don't put it off to tomorrow. Today, if you hear his voice, which you have heard his voice because we've looked at the word of God, you got a choice. You could come or you could harden your heart, as the Israelites did when they were at Meribah, which means test the Lord, as they did at Massa, which means quarreling in the desert where their fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. So he's referencing Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, right? The Red Sea opens up. They walk through it. They end up in the wilderness, right, where they're preparing to knock down the giants and inherit the land flowing with peaches, or, I mean, milk and honey. And, and, got, and, and as they're in the, the desert, you've been in a desert before, right? And you're like, I need some water. And my, my mouth is like cotton mouth, and I got the, the white stuff going down on the side of me. And I'm like, oh, I need some water so bad. Where is God? I'm thirsty. I'm in a dry land. And they start complaining. They start complaining, right? And then Moses goes over, and he strikes the rock, and God miraculously, in his graciousness, gives them water. And then they go into the wilderness, and they're scared from the big fortified cities and the giants. And God says, okay, you're not ready. You're not ready to go in the promised land because you need to come to the promise maker first. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. And I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. And this is an extraordinarily sad verse where he says, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest, because that was his goal, that they would come into a restful relationship with him. But you know what they did instead? 
they complained rather than came. And complaining's draining, isn't it? I don't mean like finding a lightning rod, a person in your life who you can vent to. That's not what I'm talking about. Or lamenting to God about your struggles. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like this, this heart posture where every time something doesn't go my way, I complain. Oh, woe is me. Oh, I get in these self-pity moments, right, where, oh, I missed out. Oh, God's forgotten me. Woe is me, right? Complaining is draining for me when I complain, and it's draining when I spend time around people who just complain. But worship is filling, isn't it? I mean, when I worship, when I listen to other people worship, it, it fills me up. So would you come and worship him? Would you come and worship him so that he can give you refreshment, so that he can restore your soul, that he can give you real, real rest? Now, because we're in a series called Permission to Doubt, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, that's like experiential. But that's like uh, you go before the Lord and, and you get rest, but what if it's, what if it's fake rest? You know, what about, what about all the, the struggles that I have with the Scriptures? I mean, some of you here, you might say, actually, I don't really think God is all that great. As Christopher Hitchens wrote in his book, God is not great, how religion poisons everything. I mean, really... What if God really isn't that great, and he's got an attack on the faith that we should take a look at? This is what he writes in this book. He says, the Bible does contain a warrant for ethnic cleansing, right, genocide, for slavery, and for indiscriminate massacre. But we are not bound by any of it because it was put together by crude, uncultured human mammals. So... Why would you submit to that God? And Christopher Hitchens, who has since passed away, is, is a very intelligent man. And I used to enjoy listening to him because it really helped me think through all of this stuff. But there, there are some things in the Old Testament about go, like go into the land and kill them all. Or there seems to be like all these language on slavery I mean, even Jefferson Davis, who was the president of the Confederacy, said the Bible sanctioned slavery. Or what about that whole moment when Abraham was called to kill his son, right? I mean, there are some, some issues that we need to deal with, and some of you have struggled with that, as I have, and you've thought, is God great? Is he worth me coming to? And if you're there, if, if you've struggled with those issues, as I have, and still do to some degree, you got to come back next week because we're going to deal with the whole issue of the Israelites going into the land of Canaan and wiping them out and taking their land because that's an issue we've got to deal with. And I picked up a book recently that was very helpful for me with this issue. And I've read a bunch of books and listened to a bunch of podcasts. This is the best one I came across called Is God a Moral Monster? And it's out here in the lobby on your way out, you can pick it up right on this table, and you could just put $5, $10 in the offering box, or if you don't have money, just take it home. Um, it, it, is, it is a very, very helpful book that helps us deal with these issues. Is God a moral monster? Because he has, as Christopher Hitchens and others have said, he's not even a moral God. Why would you need him, and why would you worship him? So we'll, we'll get into that next week. But as for today, as for today...
many of us in this room would say, no, he's actually a good God. There are answers to some of those struggles. We'll talk about that. But he's a good God because I have tasted and seen. I have gone to the ice cream stand and put it in my hand and experienced it. And it's actually changed my life. It's actually changed my life. So would you, would you come? Would you sing for joy to the Lord? Would you shout aloud to the rock of our salvation? Because in my opinion, and in, in, in many of your opinions, there really is nothing better than Jesus. There really is nothing more fulfilling than a relationship with Jesus. There really is nothing more restful than coming to Jesus. So that's what, that's what we're going to do right now. We're going we're gonna to worship him together. And as we do, we're going to say, God, I really do need you. My life might not look like it right now because I've filled it up with all kind of other stuff, but I'm coming to you right now, and I'm saying, I, I do need you, and would you help me to realize how much I need you? So we're going to worship the Lord through song in just a moment. But before we do, I want to show you a video of Melissa Evans, who gave this testimony three years ago, but I looked at it, I'm like, oh, we got to show that again, because it's, it's someone who really does live out worship. And we're going to watch her video together, and then we're going to worship. So let's watch this testimony from Melissa Evans as the worship team comes. I became a Christian when I was 26 years old. I was raised in the Catholic Church, and I had a really loving, supportive family. They really were ultimately the center of my world for my 26 years. Um, outside of my professional pursuits, um, they were the, the core of what I felt to be the most important thing. Um, what I didn't realize then, but what I realize now, is that God had to take me from my family and from the comfort of their support and move me 3,000 miles across the country to be by myself without their immediate support, where I had to, or I was able to finally open my eyes and my heart to see and hear Him. When I moved away from my family, the first people I met happened to be Christians, and they invited me to their church. I decided to go because I had always wanted to go back to church eventually when I became an adult, and I felt, you know, that was a really important part of my upbringing. So I went with them, and um, it was the first experience I had ever had in a non-denominational megachurch. It was totally different than my small-town Catholic stained glass window church and I honestly thought I was walking into a cult when the lights were dim and I saw people raising their hands in praise and worship but it was an amazing experience because it certainly was not that it was people raising their hands in awe of a God that is bigger and greater than they are and that reality became apparent to me the more I went back and visited that church um, ultimately up to that point, I had led a life and that, you know, by all measures of success, of the world's standards, I should say, I was a good person and I was achieving success. 
But what I didn't realize was that even though I was a good person, I needed a savior. I started to understand who Jesus was through the worship and through the preaching. I understood what perfect love looked like. It was death on a cross for me. And the more I started understanding what that looked like and what that meant, I started to see my own sin. And I started to realize that without a savior, um, you know, I would have to um, face God someday and be reconciled to him. But how? Because um, it wasn't good deeds that was going to get me there. It wasn't, you know, um, upholding a standard of moral character that most people thought was good enough. It was believing that Jesus was good enough and he paid it all on the cross for me and my sins. I love that statement where she says, I came into the room and they were praising a God who was bigger than they were. Not a great statement. I'm recognizing that this God that I serve is bigger and larger and more powerful than I am. And as I come to him in worship, the bigger he gets, the smaller my problems get. And the rest of life gets better. So, you know, as we worship the Lord, I don't know how you want to do this. Maybe you want to stand and raise your hands. Maybe you want to be on your knees. Maybe you want to just stand there and soak in the words. You know, we all sort of have different ways that we connect with God through worship music. But I do want to ask you to worship him. Because at the end of the day, we do need him. Every hour I need him. Every single hour I need him. So, Lord, I confess, I confess that when I come to you, I get real rest. So I'm going to worship you for who you are, not who I want you to be, because that's idolatry. But I'm going to worship you for who you are and for what you've done for me. So let's worship the Lord. 